doing podcast research. Nice. This is this is super fucking lame that I'm like excited about this, but uh, there's this dude in I think Japan that makes these um, iPhone backgrounds that basically like fuck with the algorithm that uh, iOS uses to determine like the color of the shading behind, like on some of the okay. elements on your home screen. Like if you go to your home screen real quick. Sorry, I'm too occupied. Uh, but like it determines what this little background thing should look like Mm -hmm. and so he makes these images that are like a back or a the actual what's supposed to be the background and then off to the side which would be cut off by you know your screen just your aspect ratio are like other color blocks that it pulls from Uh and he makes these ones that like erase the dock so i don't have a dock at all down there like you oh, dope. There's no background, and it changes the color of your folders. It's fucking cool. Wait, so where do you get these? I can just airdrop them to you if you want. Yeah. Um, you have to uh, turn on, like, reduce transparency, but basically that's what they look like. So this is what will actually be your background. And oh, then but then this will, be the, this will be the folder color, and then this is just designed to neutralize the... That? The so wait, dot. where do I go to... Um... I don't know which ones you want. <laughs> I could just airdrop you all of them, probably. Ooh, can I see that purple one? This one? Oh, oh. I, I did. I took screenshots of them to see what they looked like. Uh, I'll take the blue one. Maybe. Wait, what's the pink? Is that the folder color? Yeah. Oh, then I'll take that one. Yeah. Do you see the trailer for the new Joker movie? No. Oh, shit. It's literally um, a 10 second just dude morphing into Joker face. Oh, damn. That's cool. Here, I'll, I'll find it. And uh, who's I, playing? Uh, oh, actually, can you go into your control center real quick? Is it true what they say that cats take away stress? Uh, I mean, maybe they stress me the fuck out all the time. <laughs> all right, how do I set it to my thingy? Oh, so go real quick, go into your settings, uh huh, and then um, just search for reduced transparency. Wait, how do I? Uh, yep, and then turn that on. It's like halfway down the page. And then go and set the background and make sure it's not, uh, just make sure not to click perspective. So just go into your photos. It should just be in your photo reel, I think, if I airdrop it. Okay, and then what? So then go, um, edit. No, no, that that little square down there. Oh, yeah. And then scroll over to, uh, on the bottom menu, um, set as background. Use as wallpaper? Yeah, yeah. And then... Um, yep, hit, no, oh damn it <laughs> and now hit cancel uh, if you hit perspective at all it fucks it up oh okay shit okay, um, use the wallpaper yep, set. and then just go set set both and then check it out I, there's yep dude that's fucking sweet right and it also like makes oh it that's so, awesome yeah uh, your your face ID animation then changes to it'll be pink so like online it's like teal Oh, nice. But like, so if it tries to face ID and doesn't work, it does, it does like kind of this neutral screen. Nice, 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 nice. Do I have to keep it in my picture folder? Um, I think, I think so. Okay. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, all the fucking stocks are bouncing back up. Oh, yeah? Of course they would. It makes sense. Like that. Because the government's reopened? No, no, dude. Like all that shit is just cash grabs. It's like people with money that can just... Like, let's force it to go low. Well, yeah, stocks don't, they don't mean anything. They're, they're not an indicator of literally anything except for the deranged minds of a bunch of fucking billionaire pedophiles. So, Basically. yeah, who gives a shit? 
I'm glad we got that recorded. I'm glad that's on the record. Is it? Good. <laughs> Good. That's going to be... <laughs> okay. Um, do you want to um, get into this? Uh, yeah, let's... Hold on. Let me just uh, open it up. Let's... Um, bu- 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 Crack City! Yeah, dude. Was that loud? Sorry. Uh, it, was, it was fine. I got my I got my levels all set. Um, How are my levels from here? Pretty good. Could you uh, speak up a little bit? Hello, this is Alexander. Yeah, that, that works. Him? Yeah. How about this? Is this too low? No. Okay. Um, let me just adjust the gain. Did you edit the other ones? Um, no. <laughs> uh, I will though. But we've we, we've got like I think three or four weeks of episodes. I mean, meaning three or four episodes that are edited. So. Yeah. We'll be good to... Uh, well, I, I mean, yeah, I'm still thinking uh, March 22nd, you know, the great, the great Skull and Bones date. Yeah. Are you familiar with 322? Um, I, I've listened to a podcast about Skull and Bones. I, it does sound familiar. I mean, it's everywhere. Three, yeah. Like, Marvel movies come out on the 22nd of March. Yeah. Also, April 12th seems to be a pretty um, Hollywoodish kind of date. Oh, yeah? Also, have you seen the what Mayor is uh, calling the um, evil Superman? No. The new James Gunn trailer? Uh-uh. Okay, I'll show it to you quick fast. Okay. And then we can start. Um, oh, I added to our episode ideas um, COINTELPRO. Cause what I, is it? COINTELPRO. You know oh. about that? Uh-uh. Um, it was a... Uh, it was like... It's actually like sort of, it's like along the same lines of, of this crack epidemic shit, uh-huh. but it's basically the FBI, uh, here, yeah, just show me, I'll, I'll tell you in a second. Oh, dude, this looks fucking sick. Dude, I know. You just fucking murdering bitches. Fuck yeah, dude. He's got a cooler outfit than Superman, too. Dude, 100%. This is what Superman... Like, dude, this is what would happen if Superman or a kid with these kind of powers came down to Earth today. Yeah. Like, Busted. Right? You Did you see that in your research The when when George uh, Herbert... H.W. Uh, w. Yeah. Was like, this is crack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That whole speech? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a setup. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, he said this was this is crack that was purchased or that was yeah on the lawn of the White was, House. Yeah, bought right outside the lawn of the White House, and they fucking just contacted some rando person. I mean, he wasn't. He was basically like there was a one of the, the agents for the White House like had him. Yeah, kind of on a leash. Mm. He had been buying small amounts of crack to basically lead up to something big to have a story for the media. Yeah, yeah, I have that on, on here so. Thanks. Yeah, um, I didn't even catch that. Although I, I did, I have read about that story. It's so fucking Jesus Christ. Dude, it's man. a fucking. I mean, it's HW a, it's was is a piece mastermind, of shit. Mastermind, dude. Fucking all of them pieces of shit. But masterminds. Yeah. Um. The most most of the research I did was during the Reagan era. I mean, obviously, because yeah. I covered yeah, the. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I think uh, I think these are. We you should just cut. All our for every episode where we have conversations prior, mm-hmm. and we'll just release that as Patreon content <laughs> <laughs> as pre rolls. We'll just call them pre rolls. Yeah, dude. 
and it'll just be released as extras. That's what I call in the pod or in the podcasting world. That's reduce, reuse, recycle. Yeah, dude. The fucking triple R. <laughs> reduce, reuse, monetize. Exactly. Um, okay, including the part about Patreon, including this part right yeah, now. Yeah, where we're openly talking about monetizing what is essentially garbage. I mean, basically, if we weren't doing that, what I would do with all of this stuff is put it into a big folder and then dump that in the garbage. <laughs> yeah, basically. Basically, you just wipe it off your computer. But, you know, in, in 2019, and more, you know, even more so as we continue throughout the years, content creating content out of, no, document, don't create. Yeah. Document, don't create. Gary Vaynerchuk, you will get a pre-roll shout out right here. Document, don't create. All right, <laughs> All right. I'm going to have to veto uh, any future knee slapping because it picks up on the mic really loud for some reason. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it was like super loud, but. Vetoes um, of campfire, campfire kumbayas. Yeah, no knee slapping here. <laughs> uh, okay. No Welcome to Space is Fake, the podcast. Season two. Transmission incoming. From outside this world. God damn. This is uh, Kenny. I'm Kenny. Hi, my name is Alex. I'm a new guest on the show. Houston, we've got a problem. What space is fake? Say again, there's nothing out here. What space is fake? Say again, there's nothing out here. What space is fake? Say again. Houston. Space is fake. That's the name of the podcast. Say again. Um, and today we are covering, I mean, I don't know really even how to name this, the crack epidemic and the CIA slash like the involvement of Iran-Contra. I don't know how we're going to title mean, this episode. Welcome to the United States, the state of crack city. Yeah. Um, quite literally for like a good three decades right in various different uh, iterations between cocaine to crack to whatever the 90s brought on the recovery but yeah and what a lot of people don't realize is that is just like how involved the US government was in the uh, the funneling of uh, oh, they were, they were the, cheap, cheap cocaine. They into were both LA the, from Nicaragua. They, they, they were the shepherds and the guardians of the operation. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a few ways we can start this out. Um, we were kind of talking about it, and I think there's really two com major components to this, in my opinion. You can interject if you have any uh, any differing opinions. Okay. Um, Tell me. And one of them, one of the big ones, is the kind of tie-in with the Rand Contra. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other one is uh, the subsequent, um, uh, essentially, like, it's not, it wasn't, they, the cocaine and crack weren't rescheduled, but the um, the mandatory minimum charges for them were changed in, in ways that, uh, you know, obviously, yeah. as, as any... Uh, Justice Department changes happen, they are almost right. always I mean, you, disproportionately yeah, all, affect all, black people negatively. All, all systems have to evolve based on their environment. And, you know, that's that's almost to be expected towards, the you know, the, the end being their benefit. As we'll, I think, see in this episode, 
their benefit um, in the short term netted a gross uh, net negative return mm -hmm. in terms of our society today. Yeah. That was kind of Massive, a mouthful, like, but just there's it's just over the course of doing this research, it's kind of insane how dude, it's far disgusting. how far reaching all of this shit it's is. Sad, like Iran Contra was one of I mean, like a lot of modern problems that we're having right now can be traced back to Iran Contra. It kind of starts. ISIS that. would be in a much different place if Iran Contra never happened. I would say the history uh, of the world, but would, unfortunately, um, we're not going to get like crazy yeah, so, into Iran Contra, but. I think it's important to have an understanding of what happened. So do you want to go so, into that first? So, well, okay. Yeah, I think that could be a great place to start. When I, I kind of, when I was doing the research, wasn't sure where to start. And so I decided to maybe establish a timeline. Mm -hmm. um, and primarily I had two sources. One was uh, the historical controversies with Charles Colton. Um, you know, check out his podcast. Uh, I it, it was a YouTube like I, I literally, you know, just look up, looked up uh, cocaine and crack epidemic. Yeah. And that was uh, one of the, the longer and more substantial videos that, that came about. And we'll probably add that in the source notes of wherever and whenever we post this. Definitely. Um, and for, for reference. Yeah. Um, and I got I, a lot of stuff from um, uh, the journalist Gary Webb. Um, who who yeah. originally broke this story. Um, so I didn't get into him too much because I figured... Uh, doing the Gary Webb and the bulk of Iran Contra and uh, American Made, the uh, movie with uh, that Scientologist in it. Uh, I'm not familiar with that. But uh, fucking Tom Cruise. Oh, I always okay. blank on his name. He, so it's a movie American Made where he basically one of, he plays one of the cocaine cowboys. Mm, okay. Um, Great movie, interestingly enough, not on the Wikipedia page for the crack epidemic. Uh, I found the Wikipedia page to be extremely lacking. What I love very about that fucking page. government shill oh, bullshit, dude. What I loved about that page is at the very bottom, which is the only place that Wikipedia will be referenced for this episode. And if you're a longtime listener, um, you know that a lot of our research, quote unquote research, is wiki search yeah. research. Uh, but for this one, I... Which is not, I mean, um, just in our own defense, fucking, that's every podcast, by the way. Oh, every dude, podcast like, is I just passed, reading Wikipedia pages. i numerous at least, classes off of Wikipedia. Yeah, like, at least we were adding a little flair to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unlike these so, other fucking you know, bullshit artists. If you, if you agree with how we do our research, subscribe to our podcast on Patreon <laughs> with your money <laughs> to support us, uh, us Googling on Wikipedia. <laughs> also, that was done on purpose. Campfire Kumbaya Patreon. It doesn't exist. Bump, 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 bump. Um, uh, but yeah, so I try to establish a timeline, and there's mm -hmm. actually a great website, which I think will uh, end up being really useful for our research later on in historical things, but it's called um, schmoop.com. Hell yeah, that's sounds reputable. Dude, schmoop.com <laughs> forward slash drugs dash America dash timeline dot HTML. Isn't that the it, name of the, uh, isn't that the name of like the company that Logan Paul tried to, tried to start when I, he was like 12? I don't, I don't, I don't know, dude. I don't like know, schmoop. but it, uh, it literally, so what I like about this website, it goes as far back as like the 13 or 1200s in like drug related things. It talks about coffee. 
which I included. So as I was reading this, there's a part, uh, a bulk of, of this page where they talk about all the crack and cocaine related things. And then because it's all year based, throughout it, they had references to coffee as a drug. <laughs> and one, it's in coffee, between. Not even once. Uh, in between, like the, the they, they talk about, you know, Pablo Escobar and the Medellin cartel. Yeah. And then between those, in one of the years, it's like Starbucks, first toys with the idea of serving espresso to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and they touched on, on tobacco and stuff. That's funny. Uh, but yeah, so those were my two resources. That guy's podcast. Cool. Uh, Charles Colton, Historical Controversies, and then the other one being schmoop.com. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I also, I didn't get a chance to fully read some of them, but um, there's a bunch of government documents on uh, impact of crack cocaine um, on the on the population. Yeah. Which really all that those do, as we'll get into it in the episode, um, or I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but before you say it, um, I'm going to guess that all that they do is absolve themselves of any guilt. No, 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 okay. no. So, so, well, in a way, basically they minimize, they, they don't talk about any of the impacts. They just talk bullshit, but the numbers that they show speak volumes and the numbers will show that the whole thing was really overblown, like that the numbers are really just not there. So even if you discount the methodologies around how, how some of these numbers were acquired. Meaning look, it wasn't as big of an epidemic as, as the media let on. Right. And, and you know, that connects into that the epidemic really became an epidemic after the media blew it up as yeah. an epidemic. So I basically broke down my notes by years so we could start there. Um, and those will touch base on Iran-Contra. Okay, cool. Of, yeah, and once we um, get there, I'll do kind of Jesus- Fucking Christ, Charlie. I need to take off his collar. Sure. Um, but I think breaking it down by year will really kind of, um, it, it, it will showcase in chunks the escalation of the bullshit. Yeah. Um, through which then we will be able to shine a light on uh, the consequences that these things brought on. Yeah. Uh, and then I figure we could, uh, we could wrap it up with some, some beautiful, uh, commentary of ours on some visuals, AKA the, as, as in my Google search came out, the photos of the crack epidemic, uh -huh. which is so literally, I just literally searched crack epidemic photos on Google and, uh, it's some great shit on there. Uh, great and horrifying. I mean, there, it's a harrowing look at what the 80s uh, crack city crack crack town usa uh crack city america looked like la i'm guessing uh it, i mean it's everywhere it's yeah i mean you know, it a lot of the cities were kind of the heart of it. uh you know it started in kind of miami as you know some of these will touch base on miami it spread to new york uh la i think i'm not sure when did the la riots happen was that 80s uh, or 70s maybe i here, let me look it up. I think that wasn't that the nineties, late eighties, early nineties. The uh, Rodney King riots. Um, ninety two. Ninety two. So that came after. So yeah, in the seventies was the like one of the recessions, right? Had hit. Mm -hmm. So I, full full disclosure, full transparency. I didn't do a lot of the research about the seventies. Uh huh. That's okay. The, it's the seventies doesn't play a huge role into this. Yeah. So they, it, from what I read, 
some of this shit, they had tried to make it happen in the late 70s um, in terms of the CIA funneling uh, money to the Contras. Yeah. Um, but but it was, they were under the Carter 80s. administration. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Jimmy well, Carter, Carter didn't want started any part of it because he. No, he didn't want any part of it. Well, right. Um, so but he the started CIA, it by not wanting. Right. And, to... But the CIA at the time was. They were like, yeah, no, we're all about this. Because, yeah, we'll get into it when we get to the contract yeah. stuff. Go ahead. So, so it's 1980. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's when Kicking the Coffee Habit was published, 1981, the, the year following that. It's uh, Charles Weatherall published a book mm-hmm. which declares that coffee was waging a pathological war on the country. He called it public health enemy number one. Jesus Christ. So I think we should read this That's book. Fucking quaint time. And do maybe do like a like a an extra addendum episode later Patreon. on. Patreon. Patreon. Uh, where we do a book review on this. Yeah. Because okay. I would, uh, like, that's another thing in this research I found a lot Does of. this guy happen to be Mormon? I don't know. But there's also another book called uh, uh, called Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, which is this, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, Jesus I think it's a Muslim it that wrote it. written by Bill Maher? <laughs> um, so I found this on Reddit. So uh-huh. I, I did some of my research on Reddit to see what people were saying. And a lot of it, uh, will come into play with your uh, the, the Contra and the CIA stuff that okay. you researched. Uh, but this guy, uh, this is according to Reddit, so don't toast me. I don't, I don't know. I, it's on my book list. I will buy and read the book and, and look at the author. But basically, this is according to user Come Santa on Reddit. <laughs> yeah, basically, fucking Santa's Come Cookies <laughs> this, triple double. This is from you slash uh nutting in my soup yeah basically but uh but it it actually apparently according to this one-liner on reddit is a book that details the connection of the cia and the crack epidemic in great length and deep detail real deep what book is it it's called good muslim bad muslim oh okay and apparently the guy is uh a muslim you know and i I don't is he a good muslim or a bad muslim i don't know (laughs) Personally, it just seems like you know, a very just pick a different title, man. Well, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I think I think because he kind of looks at the Iran Contra deal, so it's from that kind of like, you know, like oh we're against the West, but we're buying weapons oh, from the West. It's it's yeah okay. I get it. I get. I'm a fucking idiot. I'm just looking at things at face value. I get. I get. The, yeah. the uh irony there yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. you gotta like there's another book i have to look it up i have it in hardcover it's like 500 pages and it's uh i think he's a, an iranian writer that got tossed out of iran mm-hmm. and uh same thing it's, you know you know what it is is i'm fucking high on coffee right now so my brain is yeah. just not Dude, you're just you're right. just uh you're suffering from public enemy number one yeah. 1981 um and and so then yeah here's the start of it 1981 Pablo Escobar of the Medellin cartel rose to dominate the Colombian cocaine trafficking industry. Now, on July 6th of the same year, Times Magazine ran a cover Mm -hmm. calling cocaine a relatively harmless drug at the enjoyment of the elite. Now, I have a picture. Which is true. It is actually relatively harmless. Well, and we'll we'll get into how harmless it is. But here's the cover. and we'll, <laughs> It's a martini we'll glass add, filled with cocaine. Yeah, all of it. and a fucking straw for your nose. It's beautiful. And it, it, it reads, high on cocaine, a drug with status, 
and menace. 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 Uh, yeah. So um, that was <laughs> that was the times in in 1981, and boy, how quickly do they flip on themselves. Uh, quick addendum to that though: cocaine was uh, a drug that Sigmund Freud, the father of modern psychology, called the super drug and the wanderous drug. And I'm not really sure what he actually called it, but he fucking loved it. It allowed yeah. him to stay up all night feeling super great about himself and, uh, you know, do all kinds of wonderful research. It was really commonly brain. used by uh, physicians in the um, early, I mean, late 1800s, early 1900s in the U.S. Um, my... I, just a quick little cocaine story for you. Yeah. My uh, loves a yeah. quick little cocaine story. Right. Uh, my grandpa lives on uh, this like farmhouse out in uh, rural Eastern Washington. Uh -huh. um, that's, I think it's like 120 years old. It's really old ass farmhouse. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been renovated several times and stuff by him and the previous owners. Um, but during one of the renovations that um, that he did uh, back when I was a kid, so it was like mid-90s, he discovered that they had a cellar underneath the house oh, that wow. he didn't even know about. He found like there was like a little hatch to it that was underneath wow. flooring. Uh -huh. um, and so he went into the cellar. He knew that the the one of the, the original owner of the house was a physician. Mm-hmm. And he found a bunch of vials of cocaine, like labeled vials of cocaine. Fucking hundred years in old. In his desk, yeah, hundred, yeah, hundred and twenty year old vials of coke. Dude, would you would you rip it on a dare? Uh, yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, dude. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, um, speaking of things hidden behind uh, hatches with mm -hmm. latches and crevices, on October fourteenth of um, of nineteen eighty two, Ronald Reagan declared his war on drugs. Now, that was me hissing at Ronald Reagan. Now, this war on drugs of his was actually a continuation of Richard Nixon's war on drugs. Tricky and Dick. There is, a, I think, a topic I want to cover, which is the, the uh, well, start of the war on drugs. Just focusing on Richard Nixon and looking at how, while he had the federal, he had a committee in the federal government do research on the viability of marijuana mm -hmm. as a essentially a trade commodity something that could be cultivated and, and used and and the impacts that it would have the the commission found growing marijuana on, on small acreage farms and for small consumption etc etc would have net positive impacts on society uh -huh. which is exactly like how the law today in states where it's allowed yeah like or it's, for it's, medical marijuana it's exactly what they implemented and they make a point to say that he went to his committee and he said, you know, I appreciate you doing this, but if I brought this to my constituency, they would fucking fry me. So instead, we're going to play the good guy, bad guy. Good yeah. Guy. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, do what they did in the years to come. But yeah, in, in the same year, 1982, Pablo Escobar was granted immunity uh, as the kingpin of Colombia's Medellin cartel. He was elected to the Colombian Congress um, and thus was uh, immune from prosecution in mm -hmm. their courts. And then in 1983, uh, this is a fun little tidbit on drugs, uh, the Brown and Williamson Company manufactured or, or manufacturer of many cigarette brands, including Pall Malls, Lucky Strike, and Cool, 
signed an agreement to pay Hollywood star Sylvester Stallone half a million dollars to smoke Braun and Williams some cigarettes on screen in his next five films, which, you know, is basically Rambo and Rocky Four. Fun fact about Sylvester Stallone. Did you hear about his whole thing with uh, how he murdered a dog with a tank? No. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know Sheriff Joe Arpaio, right? Mm, I think so, yeah. Uh, he's Arizona Sheriff, just for the listener. Um, he's a fucking monster. He um, he set up literal concentration camps for uh, for South American and Mexican immigrants. And, um, yeah, I mean, they were literal concentration camps for, like, families. Okay. Um, and he ended up in jail for uh, a lot of the fucked up shit that he did. Um, but he was pardoned by Trump. So, um, but anyway... Before all of that, he uh, was doing a raid on a house that ended up um, not having anything mm-hmm. worthy of a raid. Um, and in the raid, he allowed Sylvester Stallone to do a ride along in a tank and they crushed the house. They like drove a tank Fuck. through the house and fucking killed this family's dog with a tank. Goddamn, could you imagine waking up? To motherfucking Sylvester Stallone <laughs> and, and Joe Arpaio in a tank, wow. rolling into your house, killing your fucking dog with a tank. I would sue those fuckers. Yeah, they did get sued. Fuck Sylvester Stallone, man. He's a piece of shit. Well, uh, to round out the first three years of the 1980s, Freeway Ricky Rouse of South Central Los Angeles became America's premier cocaine distributor. Uh, by selling cocaine in a cheap, smokable form that Ross calls Ready Rock. Hell yeah. So Better known today as crack. And by 1983, he, will, uh, he was moving $1 to $2 million worth of cocaine, making only about 100 to 200 k in profits every single day. Right. Um, and so now we, have, we kind of have to get into the rent contract now. Yeah, and I do want to say, if you haven't seen it, the documentary on Netflix, not that Netflix needs nods, um, but great documentary about my boy, Freeway Ricky Rouse. Uh, original Rick Ross. The original, the OG Rick Ross. Uh, especially, there's a there's a snippet in there that's really great where um, they have the rapper Rick Ross uh, at a deposition defending his choice of you know, calling himself Stealing the Ricky Ross. Yeah. I mean, it's really great. I don't want to, you know, spoiler it. Uh, the dude does make some pretty good hype music and uh, has a pretty dope, you know, chain of wing stores around the country. But, um, you know. Comes off like a little bit of a bitch. A little bit. Just a little, little, little smidgen, smidgen of that. Okay. <laughs> so if we're talking about Freeway Rick Ross. Early 1980s. Yeah, so we got to get into... Um, Iran-Contra. So just for some background, Iran-Contra kind of circles around Nicaragua mainly. And essentially what happened, uh, basically during the 1980s, uh, Nicaragua was being run by the Sandinistas, which was like a socialist party that had just overthrown the existing, like essentially monarchy, um, which was the Somoza family. Yep. Um, the Somoza family had a lot of friends in high places in the U.S. Um, and, and, and abroad. Yeah, so maybe we backtrack, backtrack just a little bit. We touch base on this. If you listen to our uh, episode pre-rolls, 
which will be available on our <laughs> Patreon uh, for uh, for our uh, dedicated listeners. Uh, essentially, Jimmy Carter decided to no longer fund the... Wait, uh, that's actually not true. So this, oh, Was he not president in the 70s? No, he was. So what happened was the... So when the Sandinistas took over and they kicked out essentially the Somoza family and everyone that was associated with them and along with them, a lot of like, uh, capitalist people, Mm -hmm. there was like a mass exodus, like a bunch of them left and Mm -hmm. most of them came to the U S um, especially the Somoza family. Um, the Somoza family had gone to the Carter administration asking for help to fund a rebel group that was going to fight the Sandinistas to bring back power. Jimmy Carter was not okay with that. Yeah, so I did have that part correct. Yeah, uh, yeah. but who was okay with that during the Carter administration was the head of the CIA. Yeah, of course. Who went to him and was like, hey, we can't do this right now under the Carter administration, but we're going to keep you guys in mind. And as soon as we have like a Republican in control that is uh, all okay with all of this, which any Republican would be because they love fucking fascism and they hate socialism, um, then we'll we'll totally help you out. And that's exactly what happened. So when Reagan got into power, then Reagan was all about it. Um, And so they started, uh, so they started officially funding the uh, Contras, which is the uh, far right rebel group that was trying to take over the, uh, take over the Sandinistas and basically bring back the, um, the monarchy. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, And it was convenient that the uh, Sandinistas were communists. Because mm-hmm. that played right into the Cold War rhetoric of yeah. uh, red is bad, blue is good. Exactly. Um, um, and so eventually, and and meanwhile, the Contras are committing these just fucking awful atrocities okay. all across Nicaragua. Um, and it's starting to kind of leak into the news. And so they, uh, the um, Reagan administration tried to put out basically propaganda um, defending the Contras, but... It just looked too bad. And so eventually Congress um, essentially barred the U.S. from supporting the Contras in any way whatsoever. Right. So there's, um, and and I'll have some more on this as we go, but there's this uh, website, uh, Mm Timeline.com, that talked about uh, essentially Ronald Reagan and the war on drugs and kind of uh, stuff around it and Nancy's just saying no stuff. Uh, but they include these videos, one of which is uh, <laughs> Ronald Reagan merch. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's right here. And we'll post a link to it uh, in the show notes. And it's essentially a video with Ronald Reagan parading around this shirt that says Stop Communism uh, Central America. It's a MAGA hat in shirt form. It basically, and when he was essentially the originator of the MAGA hat. Yeah. And then you have uh, you have Nancy basically with these like teal, like, what do you call it? Like seafoam green or like mm-hmm. puffy blue. That's the trademark. Balloons that look like inflated condoms. It's it's a trademark word for, for a new color that I just coined <laughs> called, what did I call it? Foam, not foamy, but fluffy blue. Fluffy <laughs> blue. Yeah. If you if you hear fluffy blue anywhere else, please let me know. Yeah. Look at send, send me an email. Rich. I want my I want my uh, I want my dough from them uh, from them royalties. But yeah, it's basically Nancy and this uh, you know obviously like surrounded by a bunch of poor kids mm. that just have to sit there because it's the fucking president's wife 
first lady, you know, what are you going to do? And she's just saying, just say no. And um, the article does uh, a good job of getting into how that basically failed because they were completely out of touch with the realities of kids living during that time that like, okay, well, you are like an old rich lady. Mm -hmm. It's easy for you to say, just say no. Like, yeah, you're going to get chauffeured around and eat caviar. Right. Like, Your life is so good that you don't need an escape like right. most people. Like, um, you can't, you know, that, that just doesn't work um, for most kids in those environments. Um, basically living, you know, I mean, I don't even know if the term paycheck to paycheck existed back then, if they were even, <laughs> they were even talking about that. Um, but so essentially since Congress had cut off funding for the Congress, uh, the Contras in 1984, uh, old Ronnie Rags had to get creative. Um, and so between 84 and when they, when the funding was officially cut off and 86, mm -hmm. $34 million were funneled to the Contras through a new secret organization that was somewhat cringily titled the Enterprise. <laughs> um, and, uh, the reason it's called the Rand Contra is because a large portion of the money that, um, went to funding mm -hmm. them um indirectly was through selling arms to iran yeah i did uh, i did read about that and i mean i think we taught you, you they teach like a little bit of that in schools yeah if i'm not mistaken but they don't I remember but they don't really tell you it's the angle is anti-iran mm -hmm. and anti-communism it's right. like during that stretch when you learn about the cold war rather than like hey here's the reality of how like some government entities work and where your tax dollars come into play right um but yeah 1984 was a great year chaos sorry that's fine that's why i paused um but yeah in 1984 in march the colombian government forces worked in collaboration with american anti-drug officials to destroy more than a billion dollars worth of cocaine in a series of raids against cocaine production facilities deep in the jungle of Colombia. Now, the next month in April, in Seattle, Starbucks Coffee hey. experimented with an in-store espresso bar for the first time selling to-go coffee drinks in addition to whole beans that comprise the bulk of its business. I'm glad that, I'm glad that we're covering <laughs> I mean, the hey, we're rise just, of coffee as well. We're we're just touching base on all drugs in the eighties, <laughs> you know, that played a part in building our society as it is today. Now, on April thirtieth, uh, Pablo Escobar's henchman murdered the uh, justice minister of Colombia, Rodrigo Lara Bonilla. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Bonilla. I don't know if I'm. I mean, you know, I like to add a little flair to uh, how I pronounce these things <laughs> on the account of two years of Latin I took in high school. Hell yeah. Um, also the, you know, 15 years of English. But uh, yeah, they did that in retaliation for all those raids uh, against the cartel. So I like to bring that up because I, I love that on the one side, the U.S. was helping with feeding money mm -hmm. into, uh, like, with Nicaragua and, and they were... Like essentially, because Colombia was the hub for cocaine, right? So, right. so they were then working with the cocaine makers, and it's like this because, full circle. Yeah, essentially, what happened was, at least from the research I did, was the supply chain 
between Colombia and Miami, or just the U.S. generally, but mm -hmm. Miami was kind of the entry point for cocaine, um, was more or less cut off. Like, it was hard to get stuff from cocaine directly to America. So what they did is it was really easy to get cocaine from Colombia to Nicaragua. So right. that's what they did is they got cocaine from Colombia to Nicaragua. And, okay, so I've got, there's, we, since... And, and, and I do want to say that was really well documented in Tom Cruise's film American Made, mm -hmm. where literally he is an agent for the CIA flying into Nicaragua, taking cocaine out of it and then eventually he you know meets pablo and all this right and, and that's um, that's a bit more involved than the cia actually was so right, right what they were doing really is so it in a lot of like when you look at it in a grand scheme and when people first hear about this like quote-unquote conspiracy it's a lot of people think like the cia was directly selling drugs and yeah, then no, no, no. taking that money and giving it to the nicaraguans they couldn't it was hard for them to do that. They, the only reason they could do it with the Iran arms deal is because they, uh, the Reagan administration had made a deal with Iran that was like a public deal for yeah. those arms. And I can't remember what it was in exchange for. I think it was just they were going to back the, the rebel group. Yeah, we'll, and, we'll, we'll do our research on that and do an um, episode. But so there was a public portion of that uh, that arms deal that, that seemed to be totally above board. But the underhanded side of it was... Not only were they getting this like sort of symbolic exchange, they were getting financial exchange too that wasn't going directly to the U.S. It was going directly to Nicaragua. Well, it's black and then, funds, right? Like, right. It's, and then it's... with the um, with the cocaine, really, what the CIA was doing is they were helping to train these people on counterintelligence right, and exactly. stuff like that, and they were looking the other way and allowing them the trade routes. Well, they to were get in. so um, you know, and and take this with a grain of salt. Uh, it's it's from again like that, that movie American Made really gives you a visual of how everything was done. Um, essentially, and, and another one of my sources, the historical podcast, Historical Controversies, mm -hmm. um, makes a good point to say that there is a difference between uh, a CIA operative and a CIA agent or officer. But anyways, the term, the differentiation, the terms being and meaning that it's one thing to work as a, as a, as a, an agent for the CIA or I mean, well, basically you're a CIA employee. And then as your job, you're like training these people and finding proxies mm -hmm. off the, you know, people that, that work for you who then do the work. Right. Right. So in American made Tom Cruise plays this guy that was a cocaine cowboy. And this is, I mean, it's well documented. Like this guy existed and he did fly you know, low, low flying planes. And, you know, in the movie, it's like, they tell him like the CIA jacks, um, the radar locations and like kind of the routes uh -huh. that the, I forget who at the time was patrolling the waters and the skyways for the U S and it's like, okay, our guys, like the, the U S government guys are going to be here, here and here. And this is where they're making their seizures. So like, here's your blind spot and here's like, your, you this know, is how you get time. in and out. Yeah. But if you get caught, we don't know you. Exactly. And there's a point in the movie where they literally brown bag him, which is like the whole operation gets cut. Mm -hmm. And so they're like everything tied to all these people put it in his bag and it gets burnt. And that was when, uh, I think, I think this was real. Basically they had a picture of, um, I think Pablo, 
like with a U.S. plane and like you know loading these drugs in and out. And so that's how that's the guy got iced. They killed him because like Reagan just fucking went AWOL and just put the picture up on on the news because he was he was asking um, his guys for an update and he was mm-hmm. a real stickler for it. And they had really nothing because they you know you got to make your money like probably their accounts. Like they, they probably didn't have the 50th mansion that they wanted or whatever, but like somehow he saw the picture, put it on national news. And, uh, the roundabout point here being that it's easy to discount this whole thing by saying, Oh, you know, it's impossible or accountability. It's like, there's no way that, and it, it, you know, the government would do it. And the point ultimately is, is that the means justify the end? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that's a that's actually directly a quote that one of uh, one of the CIA oh, officials fun. said at these traffic. Jesus, cats just wrecking shit right race, now, dude. All right, I'll be right back. Cool. Chaos, you cut. Are you keeping the cats permanently? Also, I think somebody peed. Oh, nice. Um, no, I'm not. Uh, Sarah's gonna. She's still taking them. Yeah. Has she figured out her? Is she gonna live with those guys? Uh, I. It's looking like probably not. She's probably just gonna get her own place. You may have also just lost the collar back there. Oh no, it's right here. Oh sweet, I just saw it fall. But yeah. <clears throat> um. Cool. So she's figured out kind yeah. of sort. Yeah. Okay. Where were we? Um. So yeah, basically. Uh, to round this out, Escobar's goonies kill the um, Minister of Justice, Rodrigo Lara Bonilla. Uh, there's a question of, you know, is it a conspiracy? Like, how could they do this? And the thing is, like, it is. I, I, I think to finish out. Well, and it, it, I mean, not only just like doing just kind of my initial research on this, I was like, all right, well, I want to find out how true this is because the Wikipedia kind of is like on the fence about it but like mm-hmm. it's documented there is this is documented fact that they did this they knew that there was cocaine coming in and they did nothing about it and not well, only that the purpose they helped them they like did everything they could to make it as easy as possible for them to get as much cocaine in as they could as cheap as possible because they were trying to help uh fund the contras i mean and the contras were really the ones doing this and they were and as a consequence and i think this is where people get emotional about it but mm. as a consequence of all that coke coming in is cocaine was starting to be cheaper and cheaper to get yeah and people were making as much money like yeah we just said you know our boy ricky was making you know millions right oh uh, um, so Sorry, I, I feel like I kind of got off track. Um, I had gotten into Iran-Contra because you had mentioned Freeway Rick Ross. Yeah. Um, and kind of the, how it's connected to him, and I'm sure you, you probably know this. Um, but in, um, I think it was, I think it was 80, 84, it was like right after Congress uh, banned mm-hmm. the uh, funding of the Contras officially. Um there were uh, two Nicaraguan traffickers who had uh, relocated to L.A. They weren't originally traffickers. They, okay. When they were in Nicaragua, they were actually both pretty high up in the Nicaraguan government. Um, 
And one of them actually had a MBA in marketing. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. And so they were... Oh, I'm sure he knew how to sell it. Uh, they were flown... They, they were living in LA um, after the Sandinistas took over. So for the better part of the early 80s. Um, and uh, they were flown to Honduras by the CIA for a meeting with two CIA agents who told them to go back to California and raise money for the Contras by any means necessary. Sure. While they were in the US, before they had been called out by the CIA, they were already trafficking uh, oh, sure. for the Contras because they were they were pretty connected to, you know, that group, obviously. I mean, it makes sense. Like, it's all, it's all about turning a blind eye, and it's like, I don't care what you do as long as you don't, you know, it's, you don't even talk about don't get caught. It's like, do what, like, any means necessary, yeah. but you get um, caught, you get burnt. Like and this. they literally said in that interview, uh, the ends justify the means. Um, and I, I believe it, dude. Yeah, so... I mean, obviously, since they had been making their money by trafficking cocaine, they just continued doing that. Um, and they tried to expand their business in whatever ways they could. And one of those ways was they met, uh, they, they went into South Central and they met uh, Freeway Rick Ross, um, who, I don't know, did you read anything about like his childhood and stuff? Um, so most of that, is, most of what I know is what came from the documentary and it's been a while since I watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it it wasn't a pretty childhood. I mean, it's not. Yeah, I mean, but he. I don't like, remember specifics, but I know he was like super into tennis. Yeah. Um. And he, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he like his bi- biggest goal in life was to um to get a scholarship for tennis. But then he found out that um in order to get a scholarship at all, even if it was for a sport, you still had to know how to read and write, and he didn't know how to read. And yeah, write. yeah. Um. And so. So he, um, sorry, uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, so he, he basically, he became like a medium time, uh, dealer in, in the LA area. So he already had connections. He knew all the uh, people in the different neighborhoods. He was basically Mm -hmm. supplying for the Bloods and the Crips. Yeah. He kind of had a network where he could sell. And so he, yeah, he, he, I think you touched on that he was making like hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is significant for a drug dealer in south central well especially in the 80s yeah i can imagine um yeah so that's that's kind of where he started and those two traffickers one of them the guy with the mba um was his connect Uh, sure and that makes sense um and uh yeah so he so rick ross started selling to um selling uh coke to people that he knew, mm-hmm. you know, the people he was normally selling to. And they started asking him about um, if, if he had had any of this rock shit they'd been hearing about. Okay. Um, and that's how he got the idea for the, like, the instant, what, what did you, instant rock? Is what he called uh, it? Ready rock. Ready rock. Um, and so he was basically the first, uh, the first dealer to essentially pre-cook um, pre-cook his coke into rocks. Like people were essentially doing crack back then, but it was all just like a, you had to cook it yourself sort of a thing. And they called it freebasing. Yeah. So with the different kinds of cocaine, um, I thought that that was uh, also interesting. So freebase, uh, was essentially when you take cocaine and you cook it with, uh, ether to the paste. Mm -hmm. So as you process the coca leaves, essentially, uh, with benzene and petrol and blah, 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 you massage it into it, it turns into a paste yeah. before you dry it onto a brick with some more pre-processing. Um, 
So yeah, the paste is called Basco. Basco? Something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, cocaine paste. It, it wasn't popular in the US. It never picked up. Uh, same with Freebase. People really weren't into... Because um, you're taking cocaine and turning it back into paste. Right. Um, and then crack essentially was just adding baking soda and water uh and then the the reason for crack is because it uh crackles and i um had written in here a fun little joke about snap crackle and pop (laughs) references uh it's also significantly cheaper yeah so it's Um, super cheap you can take you can take you know if you're small time mm -hmm. right like you you know you have a small amount of cocaine you can get a bunch of crack out of it um, and sell it for really, really cheap. I think it's like, it's about 10 to 15 bucks for a gram. Yeah. So it's like about the price of weed. And then the hits that you get out of it last, uh, shorter, they're shorter. 10 minutes. Um, but they hit you super fast. So it's like getting your head blown off. Right. Uh, and so that's where, you know, essentially it was accessible to the poor. Mm Mm-hmm. And so as a result, these guys got rich as fuck. Right. And it's super addictive because you don't. So, so that's one of the big things that in my research has come up, uh, essentially saying that cocaine is a reward drug. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have withdrawal symptoms and it's not really that addictive. Yeah. But what it does while you use it, it does reward, uh, like essentially cocaine seeking behavior i mean the more you do it the more you do it the more you do it um and you know obviously uh that also kind of ties in pretty well with uh it being kind of a a, a rich man's drug yeah as i mean it know. definitely was because it ran you like i mean back then it was like a 100 bucks a gram even now it's like 50 so what i gram. what i love is the reference weekend warriors mm-hmm. And uh, so, so that reference refers to people that worked throughout the week and then partied on the weekend. Yeah. Essentially, you know, just blowing it up uh, Saturday uh, night, you know, Friday and Saturday night. And uh, yeah, that all kind of led to the media blowing the shit out of proportion with kind of all the developments with the cartel and you know everything that that reagan was doing with you know anti-communist shit and i uh i found this and i'm trying to verify it but i'm not sure according to drug abuse warning mm-hmm. uh you know data collection whatever essentially only 604 people died of uh cocaine overdose in 1984 and that is with the numbers being hyperinflated because what they started doing everyone that had coke in their system mm-hmm. would count for a cocaine overdose right. so even if like you know they had done heroin or you know died in a car crash right it would count uh, as died of a heart attack if there was coke in their system at all that counted as a cocaine overdose and then newsweek ran an article in 1984 that's uh that was titled the plague among us and the article referenced and compared the crack cocaine epidemic thus far now this is only 1984 so not even half decade yet 
but comparing it to the bubonic plague. Oh so the audacity to say that the death of two-thirds of Europe right. is the equivalent of 604 20. deaths to crack cocaine, hyperinflated. Jesus now, Christ. I found uh, some great government um, documents on the uh, numbers around cocaine. One came from the General Accounting <laughs> Office, gov forward slash assets forward slash 90 forward slash 89031.pdf. And in that PDF, while most of the shit that's on there is just garbage and talks about uh, essentially like background, what, you know, signs of being on crack and it's, it's all like, you know, I'll be honest, this is how I feel about it. It's just whitewash bullshit. To it's say like reefer madness. And overblow something. Yeah. yeah. It's basically uh, reefer madness in a document. The document is called, um, so it's, it's, it's prefaced with it being a fact sheet for the chairman, select committee on narcotics, abuse and control, House of Representatives, and then in bold letters, drug abuse, the crack cocaine epidemic, health and consequences, health consequences and treatment. Um, and yeah, like I said, the whole thing is basically like cursory whitewash information that doesn't, you know, it's signed by some dude named Mark V. Nadell. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure this director for national and public health issues really, truly, you know, felt great about what he was doing so much so that he added a uh, number you can call for questions, which I think it could be fun to have a little extra episode where we call this number and <laughs> see what happens. Uh, you know, there's a table of contents that talks about background, the extent of crack cocaine epidemic, health consequences of crack use, and then the treatments available for addicts. This document came out in um, pretty early. It came out in, let me see, January of 1991. So right after kind of the wrap up of the 80s. Um, and we'll get into the, the, the GHW, yeah. uh, GHWB and his little thing around that, uh, little, little TV spot he did, you know, they have indicators of crack use and it's like, I mean, obviously like, I mean, not, not to say, uh, that they basically, um, indirectly target, you know, the, the poor black population but they do yeah and it's fucking bullshit like it, well it just... yeah and we can i've got some stats on that too that we can get in towards the into towards the end of the episode but well. here's here's what i wanted to bring up so sure. in their table 1.1 they look at the current weekly and daily cocaine uses among people who used cocaine during the previous year uh essentially the total number in the population is 12.2 million mm-hmm for the um, for the year 1985, by 1988, that number is essentially cut by uh, a quarter to 8.2, and then in half of the original number to 6.2 million. Uh, the current users, though, so so that takes into account everyone that said they used. Mm-hmm. Um, the the actual number of current users. Even in '85, at the height of it, was less than 50 percent. Mean and meaning that the people were using at the time of reporting less than 50 percent of that number. Less than 50 percent of all people who said that they'd used in the previous year were mm-hmm. current users. Okay, 47.1 percent. 
And that number drops drastically, so much so that in the 90s, it's only 25, uh, yeah, 25.8% of that 6 million. So like a little under 2, two million people, 1.6 mm-hmm. uh, are current users. And then the weekly users, like even at that 12 million number in 85, the weekly users are barely, barely over half a million. It's like 647,000. Yeah. So only, you know, 5%. And then in the subsequent years, the portion is a little higher, but it stays around 10%, 10. 10.5, 10.7 respectively. So this shit was really overblown. Uh, Basically, that's what I want to say. Like daily users, daily users of cocaine in 85 were reported as 2%. Uh, and then, of course, the number is a little higher, 3.6 and 5.44, but only because the overall number is significantly smaller. But when you look at the media uh, coverage of it all, you would think that literally everyone and their mother is just shooting up at, at every opportunity of their waking hour. Um, because then this is what I really, really, this is where I kind of started enjoying in a morbid way the research Mm -hmm. i was doing and by enjoying what i mean for the listeners uh and to clarify is that i was completely appalled and even more pissed off okay here goes in 85 the la times wrote a story about basco and about the the rock the ready rock um but again keep in mind they're being what uh i'm uh, Basquo, or I'm mispronouncing this, I'm sure. It's essentially the uh, taking uh, cocaine and uh, turning it into paste. Okay. Or is it paste? I, I have my notes here. Let me see. Yeah, it's the paste. Okay. Um, so basically, and no one in the U.S. did the paste. That that was really like popular, and if it was, you know, anywhere central in South America, but in the United States, cocaine was big, and then of course crack. Once cocaine cocaine became plentiful. On September 12th, uh, there was an article about cocaine and babies, also in LA Times, uh, trying to say that cocaine, when uh, babies were essentially uh, exposed to by the mother, saying that that created babies with erratic behavior, who were basically born addicted to were born addicted cocaine. to crack cocaine, but then also listing symptoms that were more uh, akin to fetal alcohol syndrome, yeah. which is like completely the opposite of erratic exactly. behavior, where you're completely pacified and placid. Um, that now this is really where fuck. I mean, I shouldn't be pissed off because this is like standard mo. Like oh, find I mean, a story, cursory read. <laughs> cursory read and fucking blast it yeah so they based it on on a, on a study by this guy named something chasnoff mm-hmm. um who said that uh <clears throat> ira chasnoff um let me see let me see um yeah so he based his findings um, that erratic behavior in children of drug abuser was more likely, um, or, or hold on, hold on, we're going to have to cut this up. That's okay. Yeah. So the article in LA times cited 
a study by Ira Chasnoff, who published his findings in the New England Journal of Medicine, saying that babies who were exposed to crack cocaine uh, in the mothers showed behavior that was uh, both erratic and then also akin to fetal alcohol syndrome, which is basically the complete opposite of that. Right. Um, that, after the release of that article, got pumped and, and jumped on by the CBS Evening News reporter Susan Spencer. I'm no sure relation. no relation. <laughs> well, she reported that uh, on, on, a, on a story about a baby who was exposed to cocaine as a fetus and was now suffering withdrawals. Uh, then they showed a footage clip of this baby just shaking profusely. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, the thought there is that the baby was more than likely addicted to heroin, mm-hmm. which has been found to that it's passable from the baby right. or, or to the baby from the mother. Uh, and, and really the key here being that cocaine uh, is a reinforcement drug and has no withdrawals per se. Um, but during, while you're on Coke, the, the problem really is that you just want more Coke. Right. Which, you know, not that I've ever seen anyone on Coke, but I'm pretty sure that's what happens. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, and then you just, I think that's true. And then you just wake up the next morning being like, what happened last night? Yeah. Um, and you're not really hungover. The study, here's the key part of that whole thing. So, so, you know. We have the report with the baby, probably off of heroin, but she called that baby a crack baby and the shit stuck. Now, back to the finding. The finding was based on the study of 23 women mm-hmm. who were also drinking, smoking, tobacco and marijuana. And uh, per the uh, History Controversies podcast guy, did not have good prenatal care, as well as uh, there being many other unaccounted for variables. Right. And that really kind of makes sense, because if you are drinking, smoking, etc., yeah, your baby is More than likely, these babies had fetal alcohol syndrome and right. some kind of nicotine shit going on. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and maybe... And, in concert with other things. Cause these people that these women that were in these studies and I'm not disparaging them at all. I well, it's just facts. Yeah. Uh, they were like statistically since they're, they're using cocaine, they're using crack, they're, uh, they're drinking, they're smoking, they're smoking weed, which no judgment, you know, I've been there. Um, you're going to be statistically more likely to also be doing other drugs as well, which a lot of them were like you mentioned heroin, like, yeah, there's way too many variables going on in this study well, for it to be right. relevant. Like, and just, it's too small of a study for it to you, be statistically relevant at you, all. You can't take a group, a small number of people. How many did you say it was? Like 23. 30? Yeah. 23, no controls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess you could make a point that. Uh, 23 people is statistically and, and, irrelevant, though. That you can't apply right. that to a population yeah. at all. It's, so, it does, it's not reflective of any significant population. So here's the nail in the coffin. Chilled. Here's the nail in the coffin that kind of blew this shit up. So there was another uh, researcher, mm-hmm. Dr. Cl- Claire Knowles, okay. who read the study 
And she was also studying uh, the effects of alcohol, tobacco, marijuana on babies and fetuses, etc. So she decided, hey, you know what, I'm going to incorporate cocaine in my studies and see, you know, how it plays a part. So in having done this and, and going through his research, she found that there was no discernible connection nice. between cocaine being the single factor in the behavior of children born to mothers who are users. Right. Uh, now it also is worth mentioning that chemically crack and cocaine effectively the same. The, all that the baking soda does is it make it smoke makes it smokable. Right. And it, you can break it down into smaller amounts. The the real caveat here for the disparaging difference in the effects is the means of uh, consumption consumption right. where it's not going through the like uh nasal uh right membranes. it doesn't go through the membranes in the mucous membrane there and it's nose. going through the membranes in your lungs which are, is going to make it affect so you faster. way faster yeah right um so this doctor um was asked because she wanted to correct this finding right like she, she wanted to do the well i don't want to say she wanted to do the right thing she probably wanted to do the she wanted you to know, do the real research. The, the researcher thing. And she so had the she, same goal as ostensibly the people who originally did it, but she actually had that goal instead of just supporting some fucking bullshit fad uh, scare. Well, I, I think with, you know, and I didn't do enough looking into and researching Ira Chasnoff. Like, I, it, the guy's probably still alive. What I will say is he probably did his research, you know, had some findings, and then the news people were like, Oh, we need a story about crack babies because that's exactly. the end thing. Well, this kind of looks like it. Well, fuck it. Just run with it. Yeah. And then you just say like half truths and shit that you just kind of, you know, in a in like probably some intern was like, oh, this will do. Yeah. And just give me the spark notes, bitch. Right. Um, you know, and then you just get this fucking bullshit pile. hysteria. And along um, with this hysteria... Sorry, were you, did you have something else? Well, I wanted to just wrap this. Go ahead. This is really the creme de la creme, the uh, cup, the grace, mm -hmm. <laughs> the cup of grace in this whole thing. That the reporters, after asking her about her findings and not liking what she had said when she told the truth, uh -huh. stopped asking her. <laughs> and then they turned to hospital medical staff and administrative staff so now not to discredit the hard-working nurses and doctors etc and all the schedulers and sure you know people that work at hospitals you do great work thank you very much if i'm sick i hope that you'll be there for me and i know that you will but what i will say is that if you're not a researcher you probably shouldn't be getting asked to do research no to state facts on shit that oh, yeah. you don't know about. Right, yeah. Which is exactly what the reporters did. And so obviously, as what happens today with social media, et cetera, and fake news, is we now know for 100% people spread the stories that they hear. Mm -hmm. So you have people that were hearing on the news how crack babies are being born every day to horrible mothers that don't care, and they're just spewing that back out right like you and see, i mean they, like it's it goes without saying but we should say it anyway that like they this was specifically targeted at the black community this was not like oh these terrible mothers it was like very much like these terrible that, black mothers it was really 
really uh, tinted in racism. Near, and they, near the end of my down. research, I'll get into this. The very first woman that got uh, dinged for for the crime mm-hmm. uh, of of selling selling crack to her baby. <laughs> oh, it's really great. Um, yeah. But anyway, so this is essentially where the monster was born. The monster known as the crack baby. Um, yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Susan Spencer. Thanks, Newsweek, you fucks. And Newsweek. Um, for blowing this up. Yeah. Now, not to, not to uh, take too much time, but on... You can cut this out. But, but to continue the blowing up of this whole thing, on November 6th, the Medellin cartel attacked the Palace of Justice in Colombia and killed nearly 100 people, 11 of whom were the Supreme Court justices. And this was, uh, this took place in a day-long siege. Um, and this is where the the fear and the realization that the cartel became more powerful than the government Yeah, uh, kind of sunk in. Um, damn. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to kind and of... And that's only 1985. I still got five years of this shit. Jesus. Um, so just to kind of piggyback off of, since we're in 1985 um, and sort of the hysteria around crack, this kind of lines up with that pretty well. Um, this is just sort of, we're kind of moving from the Iran-Contra stuff into the drug sentencing stuff, or we kind of already did. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a couple more things to say about Iran-Contra at the end that I'll kind of close it out with, or, you know, sort of. <laughs> um <laughs> I, I promise we'll probably do it some justice in a proper episode just on that. Yeah, and I'm not going to go into uh, this is specifically stuff that's around the cracking around, around crack. Yeah, um, but so just to get into the sentencing in 1986, uh, Boston Celtics draft pick and University of Maryland basketball yep. star Len Bias died of an overdose. Um, so before the, we get into him. What I because I have a preface for this that's pretty good. So, good old Newsweek in 1986 ran with the following headline: "Kids and Cocaine." Dun 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 dun. Where essentially uh, a dude named Arnold Washington said that there is no such thing as recreational use of crack. It's instant addiction, and <laughs> Which unfortunately, while this there's no base for this. It spread like wildfire. Yeah. And led in perfectly to what the government needed to just nail this bitch down is the kid named Limbus. Yep. Um, yeah. So he, he died of an overdose. The media took it and ran with it again um, because he had crack in his system. No, not even. He basically had cocaine. So or yeah, co- it was cocaine. And so I did my timeline with dates. So I'll continue. On June 18, Limbus was the first round draft pick for Boston Celtics. So, of course, like you play basketball, you just got picked into the Celtics. And this is during the 80s. What were the bird years? I don't know. It was when they wore short shorts. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably not the 80s. You know, I don't know. But I'm sure he was fucking hype on it. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, because if you're, I mean, the limited knowledge I do have of sports is that, like, uh, being a college athlete fucking sucks. Yeah. It's like you're basically at the top of your game and you're making zero fucking dollars while a bunch of people make money off of your back. At least, though, at least back then they probably uh, 
made sure they at least learn how to read and write, which yeah, happened with they got, today. Yeah, they probably got, so yeah. <laughs> that could be a fun little episode. Uh, but essentially, on June 19, the kid dies. At 8.55, they found him with cocaine in the system. Mm -hmm. uh, as concluded by the medical examiner, uh, they don't know whether it was crack freebase or if he just snowbombed it, which, uh, and, you know, if I'm, if I'm forgetting my terms, I apologize, but snow bombing is when you take it in a drink, like you just, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. drop it in your alcohol. That was just... actually what people thought was most likely. Yeah. Well, cause that would, the alcohol would down you and then the cocaine would up you, which could fuck with your heart mm -hmm. um, and jolt you into dying. But so they, there was essentially, I guess the point is there was no fucking evidence that cracked. There, there was none, but here's another part that peed me off. Uh, and this again, thanks to the uh, historical controversies podcast with uh, my boy Colton. In schools, he remembers being thought that it was crack. So, just th this kind of adds to this whole sort of building a narrative and just hitting the collective consciousness of the population from all angles. Mm -hmm. So, you have the news cycle is hitting you with it. There's all these stories uh, from all, you know, and back then, like, yes, we didn't have all these fake news sites, but the fucking articles were just as uh, clickbaity and fucking filled with garbage. Yeah. Um, um, so Congress responded by passing the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986. Um, yeah, which established mandatory minimum sentences for huge quantities of cocaine while also setting mandatory minimums for minuscule amounts of crack. Um, the disparity was literally 100 to 1. And yep. um, basically, so distribution of 5 grams of crack carried the same sentences as 500 grams of cocaine. And that was a sentence of, I believe, the mandatory minimum for that was 6 years. Yeah. To put that in terms of dollars, just real quick. <laughs> sure. Um, five, well, it's always good because dollars, we all know dollars. Right. So 5 grams of crack has a street value of collectively 50 to $75 total. Wow. 500 grams of cocaine would be worth around $22,000 to $32,000. So what's beautiful... Those two people would get the same mandatory minimum sentence. So what's beautiful is that on June 22nd, there was an article uh, called Hard Rock, mm -hmm. Crystallized Cocaine, The Poor Man's High, Grips a Richer Growing Clientele, which just speaks to, again, just hitting the psyche from all angles uh, and this kid dying was just that, like, they just needed that. Like, literally, the kid died on the 19th, and then on the 22nd, you pump out an article after fucking, um, they just scream bloody murder, and uh, let's write some anti-coke legislation. Like, dude, okay, so, this also came from this podcast I listened to, but uh, apparently... A senator called Alphonse D'Amato and a dude named Rudolph Giovanni, and I, I didn't care, I forget what part of the government he played, but they posed as a UPS driver and a Hells Angels biker mm -hmm. trying to buy crack <clears throat> from a dealer. So thus began the, you know, I guess first public uh, occurrence of the government trying to set up. Uh, you know, in, in just fucking asinine ways, small time nobodies 
to just get this idea perpetrated across the the collective mindset that crack is everywhere. Right. Watch out. Close your doors at night. Yeah. Um, ABC aired footage of a crack raid, and that was the first ever drug raid shown on TV ever. The head of the DEA for New York City compared this footage to the footage of the Vietnam War, calling it combat footage. Like, just... It's shocking off. It's like... Fucking shocking off the shit out of these people. Yeah. Dude, on September 2nd, CBS aired... To combat this, because right, they were, it wasn't as bad as it is today, because today they just fight each other. For first, first out is the first to win. Well, CBS aired a news documentary called 48 Hours on Crack Street. <laughs> and then ABC was like, nah, fuck that. We're going to air Cocaine Country. <laughs> so I think it would also, if we can find this documentary, and for both CBS and ABC, it could be fun to watch and yeah, do a... Uh, you know what we think of it uh and then i don't know if you if you saw this in when you looked up um kind of how the process of the legislation was going there's a dude named william juan raid mm-hmm. or reed raid i have it written down as raid which you know goes well with what we're talking <laughs> about uh but this dude billy brought up the idea of shooting down planes suspected of bringing in cocaine based on the precedent of an earlier court ruling where a felon can be shot and killed if he is suspected of being in the process of committing another felony. So that means if you're a felon and they think that you're about to commit a felony, which nine out of 10 times, I'm sure just you go into your house, they commit, they assume that you're breaking and entering Mm -hmm. pop, pop, pop. And you're fucking dead. Yeah. Um, September was also the same month that uh, Just Saying No campaign <laughs> came about, the crusade uh, <laughs> against drug abuse, which uh, in our, I think, was it during our pre-roll, we were, we were saying that, uh, or whatever, at this some point in this episode, that, yeah, basically, this just shit is not going to work. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, it's just not. Like, I, I don't know, like, the level of out-of-touchness that she had, especially considering that, like, that that's such a fucking sick way to put a spin on, like, trying to help the youth. Yeah, well, it, and it's also just typical fucking, uh, just your garden variety, like, oversimplification of of what may or may not even be an actual problem. But like to, to simplify something as nuanced as drug abuse to, Oh, just say no kids is like dumb as fuck, dude. Nancy Reagan was an idiot. And so was Mm. Ronald Reagan. Fucking suck. I'm glad they're dead. I mean, (laughs) um, so I had, or did you have any, anything else? I had a couple things to close out. I I have a bunch of things. (laughs) Uh, uh yeah i only ask because we're at like an hour 36 i mean we got time yeah we did um because i think like the first 25 minutes or so was just pre-roll stuff that yeah, we, yeah we'll yeah. cut out and save for later um okay uh two things though real quick well i don't know how how well these will these will carry in terms of our timeline 
stuff. But uh, well, I, I got a couple things for '86 onwards. But uh, where where in the years are you right now? Um, well, this is actually just a quote um, from a guy, Dennis Dale, who is a former chief of a, an elite DEA enforcement unit. Okay. Um, this was in an interview. I think it was within the last ten years. Okay. Um, he said, "In my 30-year history in the Drug Enforcement Administration and related agencies." The major targets of my investigations almost invariably turned out to be working for the CIA. <laughs> so that's just uh, to kind of piggyback off of your point of um, them, like they're essentially entrapping people. Like they're, they're yeah. getting people to do these high profile things so that they can bust them, so that they can have numbers to put up on the board. It's yeah. fucked. Um, it, yeah. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. It's a standard MO. And, and obviously all of this shit um disproportionately affected the black community um there was uh all of this crack stuff in combination with the massive disparity in prosecution of black people versus white people put more african-american men in prison and jails than there were in higher education in 2000 yeah that's fucking it's atrocious so fucked. like it's so fucked um and just the, some statistics to to back that up um this is from a uh, an ACLU article that I read that's super okay. well-researched. Uh, we'll probably put it in the show notes um, for this episode. Uh, recent data indicates that African-Americans make up 15% of the country's drug users, yet they comprise 37% of those arrested for drug violations. More than double uh, the, the amount that they account for uh, the actual drug-using population. Uh, 59% of those convicted and 74% of those sentenced to prison, or, uh, and 74% of those sentenced to prison for a drug offense. Specifically with regard to crack, more than 80% of the defendants sentences for, uh, sentenced for crack offenses are African-American, despite the fact that more than 66% of crack users are white or Hispanic. So like, yeah, yeah, this is like all, all of this shit, where, whether or not, like the CIA, I don't think was specifically saying to the Contras, hey, inject this shit directly into black neighborhoods. But, no, but when you they were close, saying by any means necessary. What, what, well, here's the thing: like it's basic human, like psychology and behavior. When you close out all even, avenues and means of making something of yourself, right? What else are you gonna do? Right. Like I can't, and we'll we'll do an episode on this. I really want to the uh, uh, the the city in I think it was in Oklahoma, where is basically. Like they, they bombed the shit out of it. Oh yeah, it was like a, City. yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Timothy no, McVeigh. No, no, not that one. It oh. was the. Uh, I'll have to check. I apologize the, the specifics, but basically, it's like the Black Wall Street where they oh, right. had like all kinds of businesses, uh, community based living, just completely you know trying to build themselves up mm -hmm. and make something of themselves in this country. In a lot of ways, you would call it a successful example of the American dream. Yeah. And they literally fucking bombed them out of existence for no real reason. Like, there's no, I mean, well, there was a reason, and we'll get into it in that episode, but... Well, and this is just like, we have this, uh, as Americans, we have a pretty storied fucking past of doing something to a marginalized group of people. It's like, we, we and don't then punishing like you, them for the results. Yeah, it's like, we don't like you doing this, so let's just wipe it clean. It's uh, like that episode um, about that city that the, that was like all whites and uh, somewhere was it in New York from the dollop that you had. Oh, yeah. There? Yeah. Terrytown. Or was it Terrytown? Not Terrytown. It was like somewhat an L. I don't know. 
yeah. But anyways, to, to kind of move towards wrapping this up, uh, in terms of the years at least. Mm-hmm. So notable date, November 18, 1986, uh, you know, roughly half a month after the mandatory sentences enacted by Reagan on October 27th, uh, the Medellin indictment happened. So in a Miami courtroom, the U.S. government got an indictment against the leaders of the Medellin cartel mm-hmm. on racketeering charges. So it's like it's kind of laughable. Like they, they can't get him on any of the murders. They can't get him on bombing shit. Like yeah, bringing the racketeering. Uh, also, pretty funny. April of uh, 1987. Under new ownership, Starbucks Coffee transforms its core business from the sale of whole beans for home consumption to the in-store sale of espresso drinks, and thus begins the dark age of coffee addiction in the country. And the dark age of coffee, too, because Starbucks fucking sucks. Dude, on October 1987, so a few months later, they opened their first store in Chicago. And Chicagians... And literally, this, this is how it was written on that fucking schmoot website. <laughs> Initially, dislike the strong Starbucks coffee, and the store loses money. And that's when they introduce the light roast. And the rest is history. Um, yeah, and we touch base on the, the draconian drug laws, the 100 to 1 or 500 to 5. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, that that law alone so clearly from an economical and you know monetary accessibility to drugs standpoint Mm -hmm. shows that you're targeting a specific subset of people yeah i mean even if you want to make the argument that it was not being racist it's still specifically targeting poor people and saying rich people you're good you can do whatever you want the world is your playground I'll, i'll flip that the other way what you're saying is you are working for your constituency, which in this case are rich people who can afford. Because because no right. every but that's like, antithetical to the idea. Of and democracy. you're also you are also you are also strictly targeting end users, which is counter to the message that you're because because the message the whole time is to get dealers right right. Like, but if you well, did that, you'd have to go after the fucking CIA. Well, right. So that's <laughs> that's the laughability. And I don't know if that's a word, but I'll coin, yeah, it, no, coin yeah. it right now. The, the laughability of the whole situation is that while saying that you want to get drugs off the street, you want kids to prosper, you want dealer scumbag scumbag dealers. Let's use proper terminology. Here. Yeah, top, proper Republican. Yeah, because yeah, I I almost said, uh, you know, dealer scumbags. No, scumbag <laughs> dealers. Okay, I'm basically saying some dealers, like, you know, card dealers. Okay, bad jokes. Aside, to continue this tangent, essentially you're saying, let's get the user. And when you're equating the small amounts of cocaine, which Mm -hmm. costs less than $10. Crack, you mean. Crack. crack, yeah. Yeah. To large amounts of cocaine, which costs more, more... than like a half a decade's worth of work for most people living in the country at the time, even today probably, Mm -hmm. you are effectively saying through what you are enacting and doing is that you don't care about the poor kids 
and their success. Because not only do you not care about them, you despise them, and you want to send them to prison. It's really, it's really worth, and and, and not worth. It's really important to realize the context of the '80s that there weren't a whole lot of outlets for kids who weren't of rich parents. Period. Yeah, I mean, it was a very uh, like materialist well, your, your, time. I mean, your path was pretty well set. Like, you didn't, you know, access to education wasn't as prevalent as today. Um, you know, we didn't have the level of technology that we do, and like, particularly for for these communities, too. and right, especially for the the, the communities uh, through which resources weren't being funneled. Right. Like that. That's just you know that's just what it is. So even though they're not saying it, by doing it, they are saying it. Yeah. Because actions do speak louder than words. Right. Now, now, 1988 was also the year that the tobacco industry suffered its first loss in a lawsuit. Um, the first major lawsuit, because the jury awarded the family of lung cancer victim Rose Kipolone mm-hmm. a 400000 verdict which honestly for 1988 for for rose or rose mm-hmm. i mean it's rosc so probably rose but rose is fancy <laughs> and you know they just got 400k rose was, now she was rose. yeah yeah if she was rose before she's rose, she's right, rose now. right now get baloney get baloney um yeah well super rich but i'm sure for the tobacco industry that was fucking Nothing. Yeah, chump change. Uh, chump change. But I'm sure they were fucking pissed off. Uh, and then in 1988, this is fucking beautiful. Drug arrests rose. 46% of all arrests made in New York City were for possession or distribution of crack cocaine. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I did find some statistics on overall arrests for possession. And the statistics are largely muddy because, again, they're hyperinflating shit. Yeah. Um, and, and also what's really important when looking at some of these statistics, they're kind of spread and, and account for the population as a whole of Mm -hmm. the United States. But, you know, the reality being is if you live in nowhere, in Smallville, Kansas, you know, and you flew in and got x-ray vision, like cocaine ain't affecting you. Yeah. Like you got outlets, bro. Like you got, you got your mom and dad's. Farm. Okay, that's a bad Superman reference, uh, but that James Gunn movie with uh, Superman's evil twin, fucking sick. Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, and then um, December 2nd, ooh, sorry, I skipped some of my years. Uh, yeah, 89, ooh. So, 89, how, how much more do you have? What? How much more do I have? Yeah. Um... Well, I'll cut this out, but the uh, the stuff that I was going to do is basically just like kind of epilogue shit on a lot of people that were involved. Okay, like great. The movie so, closes, and then you you find out where they are now. Okay, awesome. So I'll uh, I'll wrap this up, and then um, we can get into that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And cut. So after the rise in uh, those drug arrests in New York City, and I'm sure L.A. probably suffered a similar fate. In 1989, specifically on May 7th, there was an article called Adventures in the Drug Trade, How 400 
thousand Colombians took the champagne drugs to the inner city and turned LA into a cocaine capital. Mm-hmm. Basically speaks to how the whole thing where they're trying to bring it to a close again with collective consciousness now let's let's romanticize it you right. know it was a bunch of bunch of D D characters going on a campaign to you know uh have fun with a champagne drug well it wasn't all uh shiny sparkles the washington times is really stretching for that one the washington times though uh had an article titled Crack babies. The worst enemy is the mother. Oh, Jesus. And then another one that said, she smoked crack, then killed her children. (laughs) I saw that one. Uh, (laughs) So, okay. Couple things here. Uh, Essentially, what they were seeing, and which led to these articles being written, is that uh, women who were smoking crack and also pregnant were inducing labor and essentially having not abortions because you know they're like always premature like, births. Yeah, like they're full full mm-hmm. birth. And so these were known as toilet bowl babies because oh they were literally babies that would be just left everywhere. And the reason for that, uh, again, according to the the podcast I listened to, and it, it it makes sense. And I'm sure you know our our listeners can find sources to back this up if they really want to fact check us. Research, you do it, <laughs> and subscribe to our Patreon for more great suggestions about how to uh, help us out. Basically, the reason that women were inducing labor is because the charges that you would get were becoming worse than if you're just using drugs. Mm -hmm. And these uh, sort of laws were largely put into play by pro-lifers. Yeah, typical. Typically. Uh, No, I'm typical typical of those fucking people. Like, it's important, you know, it's important to protect the life of an unborn. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that, that. I'm gonna go ahead and say it's not. Well. Uh, It's a zygote. It's a it's a clump of cells inside of not a, in the eighth month. Sure, yeah. That's yeah. why that's why late term abortions are and always have been illegal. There's a fallacy in this logic by these pro. But anyways, it's not an episode about that. This episode is about crack city. So <laughs> here's here's how I'm gonna wrap this up because it's really fucked up. And uh, if this woman is alive, I hope that you. You know, have sued the government and made your money. But yeah. doubtful. And also, maybe this woman doesn't exist because I'm just basing this on the <laughs> podcast I listen. <laughs> Jennifer Johnson admitted to being a crack user when she sought help uh-huh. numerous times. Each time she looked for help, she found none. While pregnant and Nearing the point at which, you know, she's to give birth, mm-hmm. I guess, her due date, yeah. they call it. Yeah, that's what they call it. In the biz. In the biz. <laughs> she admitted to her doctor that she used crack. Now, the policy up until this time, and probably still today, is that if, I mean, A, if they find cocaine or crack mm-hmm. in the mother, or she is a self-declared... Crack, crack user, user. Mm-hmm. the baby is automatically called the crack baby. 
Now, here's here's the, the beautiful part of this whole fucking debauchery. The doctor examined the baby and found that the baby looked and acted exactly as you would expect a normal baby to look and act. Fuck, dude, I read this story. I remember this. Go ahead. Confirming <laughs> thus that cracaine addiction cannot be passed on to the child. Which... Uh, and to be clear, it's not just this one case that proves that. This is just oh. a case that proves it, but there is. Well, I mean, this is like the, the, case the lady we mentioned before uh, had already done, had already kind of discovered this officially. Right. Well, well, well. Because of the policy, they wrote her baby in as a crack baby, and and the DA of Florida, maybe assistant DA, anyways, Jeff Dean, mm-hmm. fucking went buck wild at this. He got to thinking. He put his thinking cap on. He started cranking the cogs, cleaning all the spider webs. He's like, how can I fuck up this lady's life? Well, this is how. He decided and gave a beautiful speech in the courtroom that says that the mother delivered drugs to her baby in the 60 seconds between when she gave birth and the umbilical cord was cut. Jesus Christ. Now, now, mind you, mind you, the mother wasn't using while delivering in the hospital. Obviously. It's not like she took a rip of the fucking bowl <coughs> and then was like, all right, doctor, pull it out. Pull it out. All right, that was a little loud. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> well, the judge loved that story. I mean, he was so He didn't have to hear any more. And he said... That addicts, who are mothers, have a responsibility to seek help if and when pregnant. Now, the laughable advice here, or why this advice is very laughable, is that, uh, well, pregnant crack users who seek help will will get a criminal felony charge. Yeah. Without question, with minimum, minimum sentencing of you know, whatever it is, 10 years. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so Jennifer Johnson went down in history as the first individual who was charged with selling her baby some crack. Yeah. Fucking ridiculous. Dude. Fucking absolutely absurd. And then, of course, there's the great story of uh, George W. Uh, H. H. I mean, uh, George, George H. W. Bush. GHWB, um, where he showed a bag of crack on national news saying that uh, this was the public enemy number one of all families, the youth, and our society, and that it has to be stomped out. And he said this, this bag of crack was recovered in a sale just outside of the White House grounds. Yeah, and you he, know why? he was correct. Yeah, that's true. They, you know they, why that happened? Because... Well, you go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to step on your shit. No, 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 not at all. I mean, you know the story. I know the story. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> basically, well, what really happened is they wanted to perpetrate. They, they wanted to continue the narrative. Yeah. Like, they had just spent a decade making money down south. and They had some it fucking was hack, Sorkin-esque, bullshit, fucking uh, Pod Save America speechwriter right be like um so we what's gonna look really good 
uh, for us is if we recover some crack that was sold right outside of the White House. So what did they do? Well, here's what they did. They got a dude named Sam, Sam Gay, Sam Gay, uh, who was uh, an undercover agent mm-hmm. from the Bush administration. Uh, he, they got him to set up a dude he knew, Keith Jackson, a small-time dealer who he had been buying uh, crack from here and that you know just just getting the history in for when the story needs to pop off yeah like you got to get you know you got to get that rapport up and you know that way in court you can say well we got him on selling crack right you know five times you know they're not going to ask who he sold it to and what happened to the crack you know they're just going to say well you sold crack right boom boom um well keith jackson um you know, had, had some, some difficulty, though, in selling crack in front of the White House. Two difficulties. One, he had no idea what Lafayette Park was or where it was. Yeah. Two. He when, had to when, fucking ask for directions to the White House. This is how not bullshit only, all this shit not was. Not only did he have to ask for directions, when the guy, Sam Gay, was like, hey, come to the White House. Uh, there's a park there. I'm trying to buy this crack. He said, what's the White House? <laughs> And here's the here's the the biggest kicker is on the first so they wanted this done on day X. Mm-hmm. The, it's not like he had fucking Google Maps. Right. He was like, I don't know where this is. I'm not, dude. I'm not trying. Like, I'm good. Yeah. Didn't show up. So Sam was like, Fuck, I'm losing my job. Yeah, we so need he, to get this fucking press so, conference so, going. So, yeah. So you fucking press the kid. They had to move the press conference one day. Oh my god. Or. Excuse me, back then, you know, this was a first televised event for uh, GHWB. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I'm sure they fucking, it was like, you know, in school, like, well, you're a little younger than me, but when I went to high school, we had those big fat back TVs on those like big rolly fucking things. It's like, oh, we're watching a movie in class. Roll it in. Mm -hmm. Fucking roll it in from somewhere else. Like if you're in a classroom that has one, like if the teacher's been there for like, they got tenure, they, they have their own little TV that sits in their room. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, I'm sure he uh, had to pull all kinds of strings around the White House to get that TV in there <laughs> and all hooked up and ready to go. Um, but, yeah, basically, they uh, they had everything ready to go. They had a cameraman fucking hiding in the bushes somewhere to get this footage because they really wanted the footage. But, you know, as, as one does, a homeless woman attacked the cameraman <laughs> saying... <laughs> don't take footage of me you can't Hell film yeah, me dude. and just fucked up their their whole spiel and you know they went with the broadcast but that wasn't enough because well it was almost enough what had happened two weeks after this good old newsweek fucking <laughs> our newsweek, old friends newsweek uh had a story reported on the truth of this deal and how it was basically all set up and just kind of a ploy to perpetrate uh, a message, which is really funny because they were also the originators of a lot of this, not even, you know, five years ago. Yeah. Well, the White House didn't really like uh, getting yoked like this, so... <laughs> getting dunked on. Yeah, dude, just straight fucking nutsack in your mouth. Well, <laughs> they arrested poor old Keith and gave him um, a charge that, led to a 10-year sentence. The jury, though, was deadlocked uh, because, you know, it was apparent that he was set up. Yeah. And this started the public 
at large on a path towards um, not trusting the government more and more. There we go. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the round out here is that on December 2nd, 1993, Pablo Escobar was killed by Colombian police. Shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I've got a couple of epilogue items as well. Um, on, yeah. On some of the, uh, the, the players that we covered in, in all of this. So, mm-hmm. um, ba, ba, ba. shit, I need to find it in my notes. Hang on one second. Do, do, do. Okay. So, um, uh, so over the course of, um, the eighties, the Contras carried out more than 1300 terrorist attacks with the full support of the Reagan administration. Mm-hmm. Um, U.S. desperately t- tried to downplay the atrocities, um, uh, like, like we covered before. Um, there was a, uh, in, in case you were uh, suspicious as to whether any of this shit is true, um, there was a 1987 DEA report that was declassified, um, mm-hmm. I think, in the late 90s, where an undercover DEA agent interviews a guy by the name of Torres, uh, who is the head of one of the trafficking arms of the Contras. This is in 1987, so this shit is happening actively. Yeah, it's the DEA, The DEA doesn't, at the time, know about it until this interview. Um, so this is from the report um, after they sent these undercover DEA uh, mm-hmm. agents to interview Torres. The CIA wants to know about drug trafficking, but only for their own purposes and not necessarily to assist law enforcement agencies. Mm-hmm. CIA reps are aware of his drug-related activities, Torres's, and they don't mind. They've gone so far as to encouraging dr- uh, to encourage drug trafficking by the Contras because they know it's a good source of income. Torres told the informant about receiving counterintelligence training from the CIA and had, and had avowed that the CIA looks the other way and in essence allows them to engage in narcotics trafficking. Um, there was also an agreement made in 1982 between a guy uh, named Bill Casey and a guy named William Fre- uh, French Smith. One of those guys was the head of the CIA. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one was, um, I, I believe, um, high ranking in Congress. Um, and this agreement was uh, also re- relatively recently declassified. Um, and the agreement was was that if there were any CIA agents involved in drug trafficking, they don't have to inform the Justice Department. This yeah. this agreement was in effect between eighty two up to nineteen ninety five, um, and now it's on wow. the congressional public record. You can look it up. Um, George H. W. Bush pardoned all the people involved, all the major players in um, Iran Contra in nineteen ninety two. Um, this and at the time, they didn't. It wasn't a matter of public record. They didn't really know about um, their involvement with cocaine. They knew about their. Uh, trade with Iran, um, their kind of backdoor trade with Iran for arms um, in exchange for money to fund the Contras, but they didn't know about the cocaine aspect of it. And since they've been, since they were already uh, had presidential pardons, all of these top players can never ever be tried for any of the crimes they committed. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing um, of getting a pardon. Like my favorite pardon, that's just a quick tangent, is uh, one of the, the moonshiners. Mm-hmm. He was like a moonshiner runner and he was uh, like a nascar racer in like the 50s or some oh, yeah. shit and he got pardoned and that was probably the only cool pardon yeah uh, most pardons fucking suck dude they're like i mean dude, just, i guess some of some of obama's later pardons were not terrible but 
Fuck, man. I mean, ultimately, it's just fucking dudes stroking each other. It's pretty much just for the rich people letting rich people get away with anything. Yeah. Um, so, in contrast to those motherfuckers that got pardoned and basically started all this shit, mm-hmm. Freeway Ricky was uh, sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Um, but while he was in prison, he taught himself how to read. And he read up on law books, um, and he ended up getting his sentence shortened on an appeal and was released in 2009. Um, he's now a published author. Yep. Um, he, he speaks. If you haven't seen the documentary on Netflix, really do recommend it uh, just for a look at what it was like to be a baller mm-hmm. in the 80s. Dude was making cocaine. He, I saw an interview with him where he was talking about how he had several $3 million days. Days Dude, he where was, he made three he million was, dollars in he one was fucking day. Literally climbing snow mountains and <laughs> rolling down them bitches. Yeah. Um and finally, just kind of the last epilogue piece, um, and this is just a huge shout out to uh to this book and this guy. Gary Webb, uh, he was a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. He is the one who broke the story about um, the uh, Iran-Contra's involvement and the CIA's involvement in um, cocaine yeah. trafficking. He he broke the story in the San Jose Mercury News. 1996. Yep. yep, and he was immediately denounced by the CIA and demoted by the Mercury News. Um, yep. He was sent to, like, basically just do, like, a shitty fucking reporting beat. Yep. Um, Same he, year Pac died, no relation. Yeah, um, he quit shortly after and published uh, the book Dark Alliance. Yep. Um, and excerpts from that book is where I got a lot of my research from. Um, and what? he committed suicide in 2004. Yeah, it was a double tap, right? Uh, meaning two like two bullet holes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pr- I, I think it's pretty fucking likely that he was like you know, suicided. Well, I mean, there's a, and, and maybe we'll do an episode on, uh, on double bangers, you know, the, the <clears throat> double tap suicide. Yeah, yeah. There's a few of those with some, uh, pretty, pretty interesting players mm-hmm. could be, uh, could be fun. Uh, I do want to give a nod to HuffPost in 2014 on October 10th. They did a pretty good write up, uh, about Gary Webb and the dark Alliance stuff. Um, there's also a movie, to kill a, a movie called kill a messenger that references some of the stuff um so you know if you don't trust us and many other uh sources of this information you know look up the huff post stuff it's a uh, at the very least an interesting read uh i do also want for our epilogue um to, to <laughs> go over the wikipedia article on uh the crack epidemic because it sucks it fucking like it sucks like like it, it's not even that it sucks it's just so cursory and uninformative that for like i just i love even it, it, there's a warning here that says that or or like a notice that the article's lead section does not adequately summarize key points of its contents and they're asking for people to expand on it. But here's here's the part that I really do like it. So the influence on popular culture. And uh, what I really like is the part all the way down to movies. Mm-hmm. So in film. Uh, and I'm just going to go through this list because it's a great list. And I think maybe we'll even watch some of these. Uh, but also as I was reading this list, I was like, fuck, I've seen like all these. <laughs> so first one, Death Wish 4. The Crackdown, 1987. <laughs> Haven't seen it, but I think it might actually be a good okay. 
good podcast uh, uh, Patreon material. Nineteen eighty-eight colors movie I've seen. Yeah, great movie. Solid. King of New York, nineteen ninety, also a great movie I've seen. Boys in the Hood, nineteen ninety-one, solid movie. Yeah. Uh, New Jack City, nineteen ninety-one, also a good movie. Uh, a little more romanticized. Um, you know, if you want a like a gripping modern look, Boys in the Hood probably better than New Jack City. Probably better than Colors, too. If I recall correctly, Colors, I think, looked at in a lens of 2019, probably doesn't hold up. And uh, it's, it, I remember even when I watched that movie at, like, 13, being like, this is a, this is a little racist. Well, yeah. Because it's about, it's about two white cops, or maybe one white cop and one black cop, saving the hood from itself. Well, it's it's, kinda, but it's 1980s, so yeah. like... And, and but also, like, I mean, I don't know the whole list, but uh, the ones that you've mentioned so far that I've seen, they don't fucking cover any of the shit that we covered in this. Oh, they no, just no, no, cover, no. like, on the ground, like, crack dealers and, and kind of the yeah, wars. Yeah, it's, it, but it's like, it speaks to that uh, multimedia mass suggestion right yeah, yeah level six spell yeah exactly on the population yeah the sort of um, psychological influence yeah like you can't it's like it's funny how much mass suggestion like the D spell <laughs> like you because you can't according to the spell you can't say anything that would bring direct harm uh-huh. to the individual you just have to be suggestion suggestive right and and lead to a bit like it has to be like borderline beneficial uh anyways deep cover uh 1992 i've seen this movie don't remember it but the next one i fucking have yeah menace to society 1993 um so menace to society have you seen menace to society have you seen don't be a menace while drinking juice in a neighborhood in south central wayne's brothers parody of all like of all the all movies, movies we've just listed and the ones that are going to come after it. Uh, so basically Menace to Society is a, a movie about coke dealers in the hood. And it like is, is real. Kind of a look. Also romanticized, but like people get killed and stomped out. Sure. Whereas Menace to Society, like no one died. Like, you know, it's kind of a Wayne's Brothers parody joke yeah. movie. Uh, so Menace to Society has... Back in the day of uh, newspapers, some of our uh, younger members of the audience may not be familiar with what a newspaper is or how one reads the newspaper. Uh, it's the internet on a sheet of trees. Basically. And you get it delivered or you buy it. And there are sections in it. And typically as a child, you don't care about the bulk of it. But the back pages had uh, like the schedule of what was going to play on one of the three channels. Mm-hmm. And I saw that at two in the morning. Now, mind you, I was like <coughs> ten or eleven years old. I was like, sorry. I think I was like, <coughs> shit. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, yeah. <coughs> I'm just gonna grab some more. Yeah. Uh, so I was, uh, yeah, I was like ten or eleven when I saw this movie, mm-hmm. and so you know, this was the time of like, oh, you can't, you know, staying up late is not a. <coughs> Um, <laughs> you know, something you have to sneak around to do. Yeah, basically. Uh, so I looked in the, in the paper, saw that the movie was playing and I was like, oh shit, I'm going to set up my VCR. Another thing our younger, uh, members of the audience may not be familiar with, but it's a medium through which we watch movies. A lot like streaming, 
except the whole thing comes on a cassette tape and mm -hmm. you need a device to play it on uh, called a VCR. Yeah, or video cock robot. That's what it stands for. <clears throat> Some people call her Sony. <laughs> it's a family guy yeah. joke reference. Uh, yeah, anyways, fucking dating ourselves. But yeah, so I stayed up, hooked up the VCR, and I recorded that bitch on the tape. And then my brother, my brother, <laughs> my brother, like, I don't know, five years after that, mm -hmm. traded the movie with some kid for a Steven Seagal flick, dude. Fuck, dude. It all I comes was, back to Steven Seagal. I was fucking pissed. But it's great because Steven Seagal... Was, was it the one where he uh, just runs over a pile of dogs with a tank? It, it's it's the one where he runs funny and, you know, does karate. But it's the one before he gets fat and is on, like, that law show. Yeah. Like, he did, like, a cop's spin-off thing for A&E yeah. or something. Yeah, he's like that. Tell, telling young kids to do better right or some shit anyways fucking traded it in for steven seagal i was so fucking pissed Damn. uh yeah 1994 above the rim uh same year fresh the year after that dead presidents uh then streetwise in 98 training training day was mm. cocaine references okay maybe 2001 it's a stretch Paid in Full, definitely, 2002. Dark Blue, 2002. Don't know that one. The Wire, 2002, which I'm pretty sure here they mean the whole series. Yeah. Uh, and then this is my favorite. Get Rich or Die Trying, 2005. Uh, also the name of the album by the same author. Uh, Notorious, 2009. Also don't think that that was That's necessarily... a stretch. That's a stretch. I mean, it's like they do have that one scene where, like... Where he sold... I mean, like, yeah. Derek goes in, but that's for a gun. Like, yes, no, no, they're, they're selling he's, crack. Yeah, he's sold crack. But they go in for gun possession. <clears throat> yeah. Like, yeah. And then Moonlight, which I hear was a good movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I also will say that crack in this instance was circumstantial. Uh, 2016. Mm-hmm movie uh and and maybe even for flavor just to tell a story of a kid that's like trying to figure himself out sure um, i didn't see it either and then i think it won a couple of awards is really good mm -hmm. well it kind of famously got nominated it got remember it got nominated and then they mistakenly announced that it had won but it was actually la la land <laughs> oh that yeah 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 uh, and then Snowfall, which, which I saw La La Land, by the way, that movie fucking sucks. La La Land is everything that is wrong with, Dude, with uh, American I don't, culture. And, I, don't, and I don't watch musicals. Uh, are we still recording? Yeah. I don't watch musicals uh, on principle just because like, yeah, I mean, I've seen like two musicals. Like I that. mean, I've seen them. One of them was Rocky Horror and the yeah, other one like, was uh, uh, the one with the fucking plant. Yeah, and, and for our yeah. listeners at this point, Little you know, the books. crux of the information, uh, everything you need to know has already been delivered. So feel free to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts on. Check out our Patreon, which uh, at least at the recording of this episode still doesn't exist and probably will not. But mm -hmm. you know, subscribe to it anyways. Yeah, give so us money. Support small-time artists and authors. It's always good. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Snowfall. I've heard good things about Snowfall, but uh, I no longer have cable because cable is not cool anymore. Please, uh, FX, make a Hulu or Netflix deal because <laughs> really your shows should be uh, on there. And then they have a reference uh, <clears throat> in video games. And of course, it starts out with NARC, a 1988 game. 
and then a whole slew of Grand Theft games. We don't got to get into all of those. Uh, I mean, my favorite one, Vice City, is on there. San That's Andreas, a good one. Uh, and Vice City stories I didn't play. And then I didn't know that uh, Scarface had uh, cocaine in a it? game <laughs> called Money, Power, Respect. Oh, no, dude. But Scarface, The World is Yours, a PlayStation 2 game that I fucking love. It's basically like GTA, except you're Scarface. Um, after, like, it, it's, have you seen Scarface? Yeah. It's when you, uh, you basically, when you get shot in the back, mm -hmm. but like you survive because you're too cooked out. Yeah. Uh, so he just, you know, survives and yeah, it's a, it gets a little redundant, but you basically, there's a stretch where you go out like on your, on your yacht and collect cocaine and then run away from like Colombian cartels trying to kill you. Uh, -huh. uh this is pretty great. Also interesting that they don't have that film listed on this list of in film. Like, how do you not list Scarface? Yeah, that, that's weird. But you put him in video games. Right. Um, Ooh. And then uh, this is, uh, I really only want to close this out because I just saw this and I know I'm stretching this episode, but the research book section, and I'm going to go backwards because they're really fucking great. Okay. Floating City, a rogue sociologist lost and found in New York's underground economy. Penguin Press, 2013. Gang leader for a day, a rogue sociologist takes to the streets. Penguin Press, 2008. <laughs> Off the Books, The Underground Economy of the Urban Poor, Harvard University Press, 2006. Jesus Christ, do um, these all have the same, basically the same title? Dude, the fucking... Cocaine in the Streets. Harvard streets had a 2006... I feel like they did this research, because in 2006 there's a... And I'll probably reference it in the notes, uh, but they did a study of the impact of cocaine that was uh, not as bullshit as the general office of whatever, but also kind of bullshit. Uh, then we have American Project, The Rise and Fall of a Modern Ghetto, Harvard University Press, 2000. Freakonomics, chapter, Why Do Drug Dealers Still Live With Their Moms? <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a decent book. Is it? Yeah, I mean, it's okay. It's like, it's a little bit like, it pre presents itself as being like the solution to all of mankind's problems. And it's really not. It's like a, what seems like a deep dive but it's really just a bunch of very shallow dives into a bunch of different mm. topics. It's it's an it's an okay book, but it's just I don't think it's as revelatory as it thinks it is. Now, 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 to close out the Wikipedia cycle, this the article oh. was last edited nine days ago by Titanium Dragon. Dope. All right. Well, I think that's the episode, dude. And he has his own fucking page. <laughs> <laughs> it starts out with who am I views on Wikipedia and our anyways to our listeners. Thank you for watching. Um, would love to hear your thoughts on crack city, crack cocaine and the epidemic that destroyed our society. Jesus Christ. Sorry. And Kenny's cats unquestionably. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to say personally, I think, now as we are progressing as a society and moving towards uh, a different view on drugs that everyone who was imprisoned for you know a life-changing amount of years on account of having you know a single crack rock as a user etc should get some kind of reparations absolutely uh free education at 
you know, top universities. And their records should all be fucking expunged. Um, Completely. Like, they should definitely closed. Like, you should just fucking incinerate them. Um, Because really, it's not... We have this whole subsect of humans, of people, of, of, you know, our citizens who could and want to contribute and yet are prevented from, yeah. Uh, And I think we'll probably uh, do a roundup on weed (laughs) episode uh, as well that will kind of cover the uh, effects of the war on drugs in more detail, etc. And I think I do want to kudos Florida for changing their voting rights so that a million more people could have their voices be heard and be contributing members of society. Fuck yeah. Cause that's really the only way for us to move forward is together and with everyone's voices being, you know, heard and not to get into how fucked our voting system is and all the fucking problems they're in. But yeah, it's important that we do something concrete rather than filibustery and bureaucratic. And yeah, just, and we need a, there's been an entire generation of people that were completely disenfranchised and we're continuing to do it. And, and they have no way to re-enter society. Right. And it's fucking disgusting. Anyway, I think we're going to call that the episode. We got to close this shit out because we're at, at like two hours, even after we take out the, uh, the yeah, intro. the pre-roll. Which... Um, all right. So thanks for listening. Um, Viva la Sandinistas. La, 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 la. <laughs> Say again.